Well, good morning. Uh, I am so delighted that you've joined us this morning. And if you're new to Willow Park Church, uh, you'll probably realize that we are joining together. These are the teenagers and the youth are going off right now. There's Katrina. Give us a wave. She's giving a very nice wave. She's a very nice, very nice person. Um, and Jonah, he's, he's okay. Um, no, joking. I love Jonah. He's a coolest dude. Um, it's amazing really to think that uh, two years ago, just about this time in this week, we were discussing whether we were going to send a team to L.A., and what was going to take place. And of course, we were receiving the words that a major pandemic. And, and of course, today, uh, we're able to be together, to be in this environment, to worship the Lord. It's quite moving, isn't it? It's quite profound. It's, it's, it is wonderful just to be together. And for those of you that have joined us online and have become our online community, we are so blessed and encouraged uh, that you've joined us online. We were praying earlier, and if uh, you're from the South community, then uh, 9 o'clock every um, morning on Sunday morning, we gather in the fireside room and a team of intercessors start to pray for the services and so on. Please do join us. That's not a closed gathering. I'm always there. Pastors are there. We're praying for God's blessing and God's wisdom as a church. But a lovely, a lovely word was given, and it was that as South and, um, and 33 come together for this period until what we hope will be uh, August and September when the, all the renovations are complete, was that it's two fields coming together. Two fields where there's been the work of the Spirit and there's been fruitfulness in both congregations. Of course, we have Lake Country as well. There's been fruitfulness taking place and happening, and, and that's good. And, and, and the word in intercession and the prayer was, was that as the two fields come together, that there will be even greater harvest and even greater fruitfulness in our lives over the months to come as the two congregations connect together, gather together, and as we become a spiritual force that people will give their lives to Jesus week after week after week throughout the summer. And I, I've, that really resonated with me because God has done some good things, what, 19 years in the, in the mission. And now we're at this moment but as the two fields come together, may this be a very, very fruitful time together. And another word came uh, from Ecclesiastes that with, with one can defeat a thousand, but with two, ten thousand. And that unity is the key to God's blessing. Not always, not uniformity. We don't want clones. No, thank you. But we do want unity. Uh, and unity that brings alignment, and alignment that brings, and if ever the Canadian church needs alignment, it needs alignment right now. And, and that we're able to, to step into this time and into this uh, journey. So I always say when I'm leading small groups, and I always say that it takes about six weeks for things to feel normal. 
So if you walk into a place and you go, oh, this doesn't feel very normal, that's because it's not normal. I come into this place and it takes about six weeks. And for some of you from the South community, you, you, you've never actually been here. There's some old timers here. I won't mention any names because Brad Gay's here. But there's some old timers that have been here, have been part of the church since pre-South. And there are others, many of you. And so it's a little bit like, oh, this is nice. It's like coming home to grandma's. Well, I don't, why did I say that? That's just terrible with the pink. Uh, but but that's good. And that, and that we're together. But it takes about six weeks just to feel. So if you come to church, you feel, this feels strange. It does. And for those of you who have come back this because now all the mandates have been li- lifted, just in time, I arranged that with uh, Dr. Bonnie myself, um, <laughs> just in time, then, um, then, then welcome. But it takes six weeks. If you're new to Willow Park Church, it takes six weeks of consistent connecting and coming and getting to know people, feeling comfortable, and at that point, whew, actually feel okay. And that's what we want. We want you to feel okay. We want to help you on that. And now we've got the pastors from the south and the pastors from 33. We've got pastors everywhere. If you have any crisis, this is the time to have it. (laughs) This is the time. Time for a crisis. All right? Come to me for any of your problems. My name's Glenn Madden. Come. (laughs) And, um, and, And this is... So it's going to take time. God's got his sovereign providential plan. He's brought the two congregations together. We're seeing terrific, uh, lovely growth at Lake Country. And God's retooling us for the next season of ministry and the next season that God is calling us to do. And you and I have the privilege to be part of that gear change right now. You and I have the privilege to be part of that. And I believe that for pastors, it has not been the easiest thing leading through a pandemic and everybody has their opinions. Yes, even the children. Um, and, And I've met with many pastors, hundreds in fact, and and I know that it's not been the easiest time. But at some point... You know, we realize, I consider it, and I know the team considering that it, and that it is a privilege to have attempted to lead a church through a pandemic, through the most challenging event in the Canadian church history over the last hundred years. It's the gospel that is what it's about. So, a lot of grace is needed. And a lot of love is needed. A lot of forgiveness is needed in the body of Christ. Because a lot of things have been said. And a lot of things have been spoken. And a lot of polarization has taken place. Good people. Good families. But this is the time not to polarize. This is the time to unite. And to unite around the power of the cross. And win Canada to Jesus. And when you win, this is the time. 
So you've got a crisis going on in the life of David. 1 Samuel chapter um, 30. David, of course, and we've been doing it and uh, going through the life of David and picking up stories. In my journey here, we're at kind of 1 Samuel chapter 30. Last week, we were talking about where David was in the cave and, and the men in the cave said, kill Saul. And the voices said to him, kill him now because this is what the Lord has given you. The Lord never said that, but they said it. But David chose not to follow the voices in the back of the echo chamber of the cave. He chose to follow the principles that God is sovereign, God is Lord, and God is in control. So he crept forward and just cut the corner of his robe off. And as you know, the robe represents authority and power and anointing. And Samuel ripped the robe off Saul to say that you have disobeyed God and the problems that are happening in your life is because of your disobedience. And I want to remind you that problems happen in our lives when we drift away from our first love and we become disobedient to what the Lord is asking us to do. And when we drift away, that, that creates problems. The greatest thing about being human is that we have choice. And choice is a privilege, but those choices have consequences, and those consequences affect our character, and those consequences that affect our character affect us, and we will be judged for those choices and those consequences. And this is the story of Saul. Saul started out well, but then the consequences of his choices to disobey God affected his character to the point where he was inflicted by an evil spirit that came upon him because he was in disobedience and his character went down and down and down. And so often we forget that our choices, and this is the great brushstrokes of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, is about the theology of serving God and serving God first. It's also about the theology of what we call retribution theology. That if you do the right things, God blesses you. If you do the wrong things, you have lots of trouble coming to you. And that's why it's so important in our lives that we do the right things. So David has been an outcast in chapter 29. He's been working as a paid mercenary for the Philistines. Now the Philistines are about to have a battle with Israelites. This is a bit awkward for David. Because he's anointed king of Israel, but now he's working as paid arms for the Philistines. And the Philistines are turning their attention to, to Israel. And there is going to be a great battle. So David has to make a choice, and he's in this position. Now, he comes out of it smelling like roses, actually, because the Philistine king says, I love you, you're amazing, I trust you, you're amazing, you're incredible. The Philistine commanders go, get rid of these guys, because the moment we go into battle, they're going to turn around, and they're going to betray us, and they're going to kill us. Get rid of David. And the king's going, oh, we don't want to get rid of him. They're, they're so good. Yeah, but you've got to get rid of him. And David stands there in the middle of all this political moving around, and then in God's providence, he is relieved of all duties, and his men travel towards Ziglag. And this is where we pick up the story. 
And David and his men reached Ziglag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided Nagar and Ziglag, and they attacked Ziglag and burned it. Now one thing you need to know is that Ziglag is the home of David and David's men. So he's just come from an amazing moment of where politically, in God's providence, he is not compromised, and he leaves the Philistines, hallelujah, and they're rejoicing. I'm sure David is feeling very relieved, and they arrive at their home village where their wives, their children, their families are, and the home village is utterly destroyed and burnt to the ground, and all of the wives, all of the children are gone. And they had taken captive the women and everyone else, both young and old, and they killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. And when David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. What a powerful verse. See, what you're dealing with is a situation when everything has been so good, everything has been so remarkable, David couldn't do anything wrong. He's smelling of roses, he's landing on his feet, whatever metaphor you want to use, and suddenly they arrive at their hometown and it's destroyed and the wives and children are gone and the men are weeping. The question we have to ask ourselves is, When our world is going well, but then it goes desperately wrong, what is our response? Because there are times in our life when life gets hard. There are times when a diagnosis comes that we were not expecting. There are times when a relationship breaks down that we never thought would. There are times when a business fails and we face the fear and the anxiety. There are difficulties in life that come our way when we feel like our own personal village has been burnt down. What's going on? What is our response to that? What is the response of David? Can you imagine? David's two wives had been captured, Ahinamon of Jezreel and Abigail. And David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. And David found strength in the Lord. David was greatly distressed. Why? Because his men were now talking about stoning him. See how it turns? Of course the men were distressed. They'd been weeping with all of their power, with everything within them. But at this moment, they felt utterly, utterly Distressed and their distress and their feeling of loss and their feeling of pain turned completely around and it turned on the leader. And they looked at David and they said, We are thinking of stoning you. This is David's dark moment. This is the moment when everything falls to pieces. This is the moment when everything goes wrong. This is the moment when the men become bitter in spirit. You and I 
have to be willing to watch out that in our lives we do not become bitter in spirit when things go wrong and things are difficult and things are a challenge. It's so easy to give into bitterness, isn't it? So easy to become bitter at the church. It's so easy to become bitter at individuals. It's so easy to become bitter at God. It's so easy to become bitter because you think, well, I should have had this. I should have gone through. And bitterness is a poison that eats away within us. And bitterness is the bait of Satan that comes and catches us and we become a by everything around us and the one thing that will destroy your Christian life and my Christian life is offense. Now let me tell you something. God is with you. God loves you. God blesses you. God is for you. Christ died for you. He died to redeem you. And the only person that can take away the blessing of God and the future of your life is not any individual. It is only yourself and your own response. And if you respond in bitterness, in a bitter spirit then that can cripple your spiritual growth. And that's why we need to forgive. We need to release. Because we've all got reasons to be bitter. We've all been to zigzag, haven't we? <laughs> I love that word. Zigzag. It sounds like something from a sci-fi movie. And they went to zigzag. And the anyway. Uh, Sometimes you, fl- you go somewhere where you're expecting it to be all fine, the little village in Judea, and you find it's been burnt to the ground. So what is your response? The men's response, stone them. The response was a bitter spirit. What was David's response? Because of the sons and daughters. You can understand them though, can't you? David's lost two wives. And David found strength in the Lord his God. If you want to understand chapter 30, then understand this point. There are two points. And this is the critical point. David found strength in the Lord his God. When something is raised to the ground in your life, the place where you find strength is in the Lord your God. It's in God. It's not in our selfishness. It's not in our sin. It's not in our own plans. We find it. And David seems to have gone at this moment. His men are against him. He's lost his family. Everything is a mess. He's wondering what's taking place. He's gone from being spared from a terrible decision with the Philistines. He's probably wonderful. They arrive at the village and now he sees the mess of problems. So what does David, the great king, do? He is strengthened in the Lord. So David's facing a crisis and he's strengthened in the Lord. And the juxtaposition of all the way through Samuel is you get the juxtaposition of David blessed of God and Saul where the Lord has departed from him. Ichabod, God has departed from him. And so at that moment, 
Saul is being to the witch of Endor and he's seeking darkness and goes to a soothsayer and turns to black magic and turns to darkness and goes to this witch and says, what is going to happen? And the witch says, you're going to die. That's not very encouraging, is it? Believe me, anything other than God's love and God's grace is a message of death. Saul found death. David found life because he was strengthened in the Lord. So what does this mean? Well, the Hebrew, for strengthened in the Lord, is quite interesting. It has a number of aspects to it. First of all, it is a self-reflective process by which David pauses and he reflects on all that God has done. Now, what would David have to reflect on? He said, the Lord was with me when Samuel came and anointed me and I was a shepherd in the fields. The Lord was with me. The Lord was with me when I stood before Goliath and defeated Goliath. The Lord was with me when I defeated the lions and the bears in the wilderness. The Lord has been with me when I was in Saul's court and he tried to pin me with a spear. The Lord came through for me when I was being chased all around the wilderness and I was winning battles and they were singing about me saying, Saul kills thousands, David kills ten thousands. The Lord was with me. The Lord was with me through all of the pain, all of the wilderness, all of the darkness stood before Goliath. The Lord was with me. And when we strengthen ourselves in the Lord, often it's simply this, that we stand and we look at our lives And we remind ourselves how good God has been with us and through us. And how God has never failed us. When your village burns to the ground, you strengthen yourself by reminding yourself that God has not abandoned you. He's still with you. I think sometimes as Christians, we are very poor at reminding ourselves all that God has done in the past. Even though we're at Ziglag. All that God has done. He strengthened himself in the the Lord. He strengthened himself, remember that. He reminded himself. No doubt strengthening himself was that he worshipped. No doubt strengthening himself was that he, he, he looked towards God and he honoured him and he praised him. He strengthened himself by throwing himself before God. I don't know. But you know what works for you when you strengthen yourself. And if you're in a dark place and people want to stone you and everything's gone wrong and you're surrounded by a bitter spirit, it is time to seek the Lord and it's time to strengthen yourself in God. Because often the last thing we do is turn to God when things go wrong. So his faith was built up. And then David said to Abartha, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abartha brought it to him. It changes gear now. So now he decides to ask the Lord what to do. So he calls for the priest. 
He calls for the ephod, which was the, the apron that was around the garment. He knows exactly how to engage with the Lord in the correct way. He strengthened himself, and now it's time to hear God's voice. Notice, he worships God first, rather than just asking God for the answer. And In our own lives, there has to be a willingness that we are willing to strengthen ourselves in God. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue the raiding party and will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. He will certainly overtake them and success in the rescue. See, David, step one, strengthened himself in the Lord. And when you've got a problem and you've got a difficulty, step one, Focus on the Lord. Don't even look for the answer. Don't even try and guess the answer. But spend your time focusing on the Lord. Step two, then inquire of the Lord. Why is it so important to do step one? It is so important to do step one because God is our means. God is not our means to an end. Let me say that again. God is our means. He is not our means to the end. In other words, David focused on God, on Yahweh. He worshipped him. He honoured him. Yes, he had a problem. He had a terrible problem. But God wasn't a means to an end. God is the means. He is everything. He is the one. He is who it's all about, and that he was surrendering to God completely. Because when we use God for means to an end, and we use God so we get things that we're satisfied, do you know what that is called? That is called idolatry. In other words, you using God so that you can get your thing, so that you can be satisfied, but you will never be satisfied ultimately unless God is your satisfaction. It's God who is your satisfaction. And what we're seeing here, that even in the middle of the pain of Ziklag, and even in the middle of the battle, is it possible that David can discover that God is his satisfaction, despite his circumstances? Certainly, God comes to him. And then, having affirmed that God is his satisfaction... He then asks of the Lord correctly, Lord, what is the answer? Is this the end of this? Has it gone? What is the answer right now, Lord? And he went to the priest. And so often we forget that there is a process to hearing God's voice. It's a process, it's not drive-through Christianity, it's a process of honoring, it's a process of confession, it's a process of forgiveness, it's a process of letting go our bitterness, it's a process of purifying our hearts, it's a process of strengthening ourselves in God. And when we're in that position and we've just given up all of that angst and all of that pain, we come to the Lord Jesus, we say, Lord, what are you saying in the middle of this situation? 
what is on your heart. Because we don't have a priest like Abatha, but we do have a high priest that is in the Holy of Holies, and his name is Jesus Christ. And that you have been rescued from the devastation of sin. You have been freed. You have been redeemed. You have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And we are all priests in the kingdom of God. And we can all go into the Holy of Holies. And we can all seek God in prayer. Even when we're facing the zigzag of our lives. So he seeks him. He says, okay. You will have success. Then the chapter goes on. But I do want to take a moment to remind you now in the New Testament. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed Saul's disobedience, David's obedience, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You see, the phrase, he strengthened himself is also a phrase in the Hebrew that explains that he had to do the work himself and connect with God. And often the challenge is, is that we're not doing the work ourselves to connect with God. And we wonder why we're not connecting. But we have to do it. We have to do it. work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Move it, it's like as often is quoted. It's like a bicycle, you know, it moves. You one pedal, two pedal. You're working with God, moving forward, and you do your work, God meets with you. God does his work, you meet with God. You're working it out. For it is God who works in you to the will to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. David had to come to this point. That he's working out what God is doing. But God's got to fill his good sovereign purpose. And remember 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel were written for a demoralized. And the books were brought together for an isolated Jewish community in Babylon. That had lost their way. Had lost their temple. Had lost their nation. Had lost everything. And they assembled the ancient writings into this this format, and there one message comes through. When you have a crisis of faith, remind yourself that God was always working in the nation. And when you have a crisis of faith, remind yourself that God has always been working his purposes in you. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So now David has to act, doesn't he? He has to go. He has to move. So I'm going to summarize what happens in the rest of the chapter. And then you can go home and read it. Because I want to get you out here of this building by 2 o'clock. But... But it's important that I summarize because then I can pull it all together. So David then says to his men, let's go. So 600 of them go. And so they arrive at the Valley of Bador. And there, 200 of them go, I'm too tired, I'm exhausted. We can't go on. So he leaves the 200. And the reason for that is that they had traveled 
I believe, 50 miles to get to Ziglag. And now they were traveling 18 miles to get to their next location. So they arrive at the next, so he leaves the 200 behind. They arrive at the next location. They come across an Egyptian slave. And he is dying in a field. And so they grab the Egyptian slave and he says, where are the Amalekites? And he says, he says, they're down there. Show us where they are. And they give him raisin cake. Lovely raisin cake. That she says that. Raisin cake. Honestly, I, I think that sounded nice. And they give him raisin cake. He said, oh, that's nice. Now feed, now tell us. He said, I'll tell you if you don't kill me and you don't hand me back to the Amicalites. They said, we're not going to kill you. We help you. We fed you. You've, been, you've had no water, no food for three days. Okay, they're down there. So they go down there and they see the Amicalites all drunk, lying everywhere, absolutely enjoying their plunder. They've got all the plunder from Ziglag, all the plunder that they have. And so then David attacks to rescue the families and spends from dusk to through the night to the next day evening, battling the Amicalites, and they defeat them. I think 400 young men run off on camels, and, and, and he's there, and they win, and they're reunited with the families, and they're like, oh, this is amazing, and so they bring them back. They got all the plunder. The men are now singing, this is David's plunder. They love to, one minute they're stoning him, now they're plunder. I mean, it's, it's like, who wants to be a leader? So, really, honestly, honestly, one minute you're stoning us, uh, not us. <laughs> Did I mean to say that? Maybe. But... One minute we're doing this, now we're rejoicing. This is David's plunder. This is amazing. This is wonderful. This is God. Hooray, our wives and our children. They get back to the 200 and they go, basically, losers. You stayed back. You do not get. And the scripture actually says, the men who were trouble amongst them and have a bad attitude said to the 200, you can have your wives and children, thank you, but you can't have the plunder. But what does David say? He says, no, every man gets the plunder. Every man gets the share. You stayed back because you're exhausted and you were unable. We went and fought the battle. But I tell you what, you're going to reap the benefit of what we've purchased for you. Does that remind you of a story in the Bible? Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 6. They're all complaining because the new workers came and they, they got the same pay as the old workers. And the master says, it's up to me how much I pay. And so they go, okay. So you get back to Ziglag and they take the plunder. Then David says, send all the plunder to Judah. To all the villages and names, all the villages, the end verse, verse 30. All the villages 
God, and they're going, what are you doing with our plunder? First you give it to those 200 losers, and then, and also you, you fed that Egyptian, and then you're sending it to all the villages of Judah to say, we won this great battle, here's all your food, we bless you, we send it to our friends in Judah, we love you. Can I tell you what happens? When a man strengthens himself in God, and a man hears the voice of God, that man will always be generous. Because you can't touch the heart of God without a heart of generosity being birthed. You can't touch the heart of Yahweh without knowing that Yahweh is a God who loves us, who gives everything for us, who cares for us, who cares for the refugee, slave, Egyptian in a field, who cares for the 200 who are exhausted and need a Sabbath, who cares for the small villages of Judah, because David is declaring in chapter 30 that there is a new kingdom in town. Saul is dead. David has arrived, and this new kingdom is all about the Lord. It's all about the Lord's voice, and it's all about the generosity of the kingdom of God. So who are you in the story? Are you the fighting man? That one minute you're negative, and the next minute you're making up songs? about plunder, and the next minute you're moaning. Who are you? But the truth is, we've all been in zigzag because there was a day when I was kidnapped by the powers of darkness. I was born into sin. I had no hope. I had no future. I was lost in darkness. But somebody came on a rescue mission. His name was Jesus Christ. He was nailed to the cross and rose on the third day. And he rescued me from the hands of the enemy of death, sin, and Satan. He redeemed me and he freed me. And he has been generous to me. Look at that chapter. God can redeem us and God can rescue us. It's us. We've got to choose. Is it the way of the witch of Endor, the way of death, or is it the way of being strengthened in the Lord? As for me, I want to be strengthened in the Lord. And then I'll hear the voice of God. Amen? And at this time, a new season, let's be a praying people. Let's be a people that strengthen in the Lord. Let's put our stones down. Let's let go of our bitter spirits. Let's move on. Let's seek the word of the Lord and know that we have a high priest who loves the Egyptian in the field, who loves the 200 who went up for it, and who loves... All the cities and towns of this world in generosity. Let's stand together. Just for a moment, 
in our next song, we're going to take up our offering. We're entering a new season. We're entering, it feels like we've been in zigzag as a Canadian church, doesn't it? We turned around and it seemed like everything had been taken away for a bit. But this is now the time for us to be kingdom people, to be generous, to step in. But it's far more than that because I want to be that man that when I face trouble, I am strengthened in the Lord. Then I hear the voice of the Lord. Then I'm obedient to go and act and do the work to fight the fight. He fought for one day for his family, day and night. From dusk, from dawn until dusk, he fought. How willing are you to fight for those that the enemy has plundered from your life? That area of your life that you've lost, that's been stolen by the Amalekites. How are you willing to prevail in prayer, to be that prayer warrior? Are you fighting for your family? Are you fighting for those that have been taken away? Don't stop fighting for your prodigals. Don't stop fighting against that disease. Don't stop fighting for breakthrough in your life. Don't stop fighting for freedom from anxiety and worry. Don't stop fighting whatever your battle is, whatever's robbed you of something. Fight. Because God is with you. He is with you. At the end, as we finish, the elders will be here and pastors. If you need prayer in anything that God has spoken to you about, then pray. Come and receive prayer. And of course, we're going to be celebrating together, bouncy castles and all of that. Father, right now, and maybe you feel like you're at zigzag then if that's you, just, if you'd like to, just put your hands out before the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm at Ziglag. I'm in a battle. Father, for all those that right now, they're in a spiritual battle. Father, I pray. I pray, Lord, that we will know your strength in our lives. In Jesus' name. Give us your strength. Even in the last song, overwhelm us in this building with a sense of your spirit and your presence. May the enemy not rob us of what is rightfully ours. In Jesus' name, amen.